We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We Services. Hi, Sophia. Hello, Park. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, but seeing you has just made me wonder, you know, what you've been doing most recently. But I guess in terms of these actions that you've been doing most recently, I guess what you've been eating most recently. Most recently, I ate a delicacy known as the Krispy Kreme donut. See, this is an interesting thing because I also most recently had a Krispy Kreme donut. And Sophia, where did we get these Krispy Kreme donuts? The Big Apple, New York City. That's right, folks. Uh, Sophia and I went to go see Jackson's very good friend, Ellie Gualberto, um, in New York City so that we could go see John Wick Chapter 4 in IMAX at Kipps Bay uh, AMC. Uh, good movie, by the way, spoiler alert. But um, while uh, going back to NJ Transit uh, at Penn Station, uh, we realized that Krispy Kreme was nearby and open. So we bought six glazed donuts. And how were they? Absolutely delicious, as per usual. You heard it here, folks. And what's absolutely del- delicious is this episode we have planned. So why don't we cue the intro? Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, we have cinematographer Maria Rushi. Um, For which film, Sophia? Shiva Baby. Yes, it's Emma Seligman's debut feature film based on her short that she made at NYU. Um, And this movie is really good. Um, I saw it maybe like two, three weeks ago uh, for the first time and decided that I needed to get in contact with some people that uh, worked on it. That's the benefit of running a podcast, guys. Um, but yeah, uh, this is part one. She's going to talk about how she got involved with the film industry, how she got started working on the film. And, you know, there's a part two coming out next week. So stay for that. But most importantly, listen to this episode. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Maria Rushi. She was the cinematographer for our film this week, Emma Seligman's Shiva Baby, as well as Seligman's newest film, Bottoms. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So just to start off, um, what was your relationship with film like at a young age? I mean, I was like not a cinephile, I will say, um, which I think having gone to NYU was sort of a source of um shame in a way uh Mm. because i think a lot of the movies i i uh in high school had interviewed to um go to harvard and i met with this alumni and and he asked me what 
my favorite film was. He's like, you, you want to study cinema? Tell me, what do you like about film? And I told him that my favorite film was Anchorman. Um, and ultimately I did not get into Harvard. Um, <laughs> you can't know why, but um, yeah, I didn't identify with like having spent my youth watching movies, but I did make a lot of movies with my friends, a lot of like kind of spoofy, funny, um, like short films and things like that. And um, I also, my high school had a a TV program. Um, So we would do a live news broadcast every morning. Um, So I, I kind of started to learn about filmmaking through that. And so I think I was in some ways enamored with the process of filmmaking, um, just kind of how, how I got into it. Um, and that led me to go to film school. And the Shiva Baby short was an NYU film, I believe. But you didn't work on the short, but you did work on the feature. Is this all correct? That's all right. Yes. Uh, and so I'm sure you both going into NYU plays into one of our next questions, which is how you met uh, the director and all the people and how you got involved. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to NYU. Um, I was, I think Rachel and Emma are a year apart and I was a f- couple years older than them. Um, and I had met Rachel first, actually. She was maybe a sophomore and she was shooting, you know, little sketches and random little, um, yeah, skits, I guess, that she had written largely. And a, a friend of mine was directing them and asked me to shoot them. And they were super weird, super funny. Um, one of them was about like, going to the mall in middle school and Io Adebri was in it. Um, they were the same year at NYU. And so Rachel introduced me to Emma when Emma was looking for a DP for the feature version of Ship a Baby. Um, so that's how I met Emma and we just hit it off. And I guess just like slightly backtracking, uh, because you weren't like in film, like what made you gravitate towards like, becoming a cinematographer and like the, the camera department of it all. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think what drew me to, you know, not, not, I said I wasn't a cinephile, but like, I still liked, or I still was drawn to film, I think in media as the quickest way to kind of change culture and, and move the culture forward. And I think that was, that aspect of it was really appealing to me. And then um, when I saw kind of what filmmaking was like when I got to school, I think I was really drawn. I I was obsessed with like, why do movies look like movies in my shitty camcorder short film, like not look like that. And what it came down to for me was lighting. Um, And so I got really obsessed with, lighting and with um like how to to how movies can manipulate our reality in a way to to 
convey a feeling um, as opposed to just showing you maybe like a documentary version of reality. Um, so yeah, that was something I was really drawn to, like uh, how how filmmaking, like how films kind of can perfectly have a plant and a payoff and everything that's in a film is there on purpose and has some sort of meaning like that doesn't exist in real life. So I think that, that I, I was really drawn to, to that. And to me, cinematography is the, like, you're, you're really creating every frame. And, and when, and when you are, when you and the director are saying, okay, like we want it to, we want it to look like this. We want it to um, have this sort of mood that feels sinister. And maybe there's a character in silhouette. That's the idea. But then I love actually, how are we going to do that? Um, And what cinematography, I guess, is to me like really executing that part of the vision. Um, I think it, I think, it attracts a lot of control freaks for that reason. And so with that being said, like what were, I, I liked what you said about trend. Tra- I, while watching this, I was like, well, they're shooting in very everyday spaces, but this looks like more dramatic than it should. And so I think you, or then it, so I think you've accomplished your goal in that way. Um, but like, what were your approaches in terms of, shooting it uh, or talking with the director of their goals and then turn and then using that into how you're gonna use it like it's a lot of handheld i noticed but not like all but i think i think it's working yeah what are your approaches i don't know yeah yeah totally yeah so um i think emma and i part of where we were aligned is how we approach prep um and we looked at a ton, a ton of references, like watched scenes together, watched uh, movies together. And something we're looking for is like, what, what elicits a reaction or like an emotion from us? And, um, and then kind of finding the language for our movie. And then, you know, going through script together scene by scene basically and understanding what is this scene trying to convey you know if this is like um you know the first time we're seeing this character um and and we need it to be kind of a reveal like how how are we going to to shoot that so um we when i first met with emma on this movie you'd think like the script could totally read as like a comedy or just kind of a standard classic, like bright, more upbeat comedy. And what I was able to understand kind of from the short was that she was going for a different tone. Um, And something I've learned about Emma that I think is really special about her is she's able to pull from really unexpected references and um and I think that's how you can make something fresh so we a lot of our references were like Black Swan um The Graduate was a big one too um 
the last, the last shot Stephanie yeah, graduate exactly. I'm sure. yeah. uh this little movie Cretia that had been at um South by maybe the previous year um and this Cassavetes movie called Opening Night um that has a lot of really tight coverage that kind of drifts and a lot of foreground uh people i guess they they use the large amounts of like extras basically to help make you feel kind of anxious and that was those were a few scenes that we kind of like poured over and were like why is this making us feel so uncomfortable and um we did that with a lot of our references kind of breaking down why does it why does this like make us feel uncomfortable and and yeah how can we apply that so so that opening night reference got applied to the the first moment when um Danielle Rachel Sennett's character enters the shiva and it's all kind of in really tight close-ups and you're getting a lot of um foreground and background uh i mean this is i guess like kind of a more technical question but i I read online so take it with a grain of salt but uh, i saw that you use kawa anamorphic lenses and cook cinetel lenses and i don't you know i know what anamorphic lenses are but could you sort of like explain like what those specific lenses sort of and if there were more uh like why why you chose them and what they provided for the movie specifically i guess yeah just because totally. it's interesting yeah so as emma and i were like developing i guess the look and starting to talk about what the style and um a large part of that to me is tone you know how um t- trying to understand like what the tone of the movie would be um i realized a lot of, I mean, the the movie takes place obviously entirely basically in one house. Um, so that I, I was definitely concerned it would be difficult to just visually differentiate different acts and different emotional moments in the film. So that was something on my mind. And then I also knew that the ensemble of it all would be a big part of the comedy and a big part of the performance and the ability for them to like play off of each other um, would be huge. And with those two thoughts in mind, I pitched Emma on, on anamorphic lenses because, um, because as you know, an anamorphic lens has a wider um, field of view than a, a, a typical um, spherical lens. So what that means for us is a if, if we're going to use, say we were shooting on spherical lenses, we were going to use like a, we were trying to get a wide shot of our group of three people, for example, um, Danielle and her parents together. We might have to use like a 25 millimeter lens to, to get a wide enough shot to include the three characters and include like the information that we wanted to. Um, and using a wider lens based on the style and the references we had talked about would, would feel, I think a little bit too comedic. Like it would feel like the, 
filmmaker as film the filmmakers were kind of like in on the joke whereas a lot of what we talked about was taking danielle's experience really seriously like were this the cinematography is reflecting like fact that she thinks that the world is falling apart even though we're kind of cringing and laughing at her but the filmmaking could couldn't laughter like it had to take it's like playing it straight exactly um so that using like shooting on a wide angle lens i think would give give that up a little bit and uh and it would limit our ability to separate the characters from the backgrounds because um our wider lenses have a deeper depth field right so um we're we're just having more of our frame and focus and we're we're getting a little less separation between the characters in the background with our anamorphic lenses, wider field of view. We're able to shoot that same three shot on what feels like a longer lens. So it is giving us a bit of a shallower depth of field. Um, it's, it doesn't have the feeling as much of being a, a like comedic lens, I would say. And, um, and it, yes, it's a, uh, I think for those reasons felt like the right choice and, a, and one issue with anamorphics occasionally is, um, you know, you are getting a little bit of warping around the edges and you're maybe getting a little bit of focus fall off or, um, uh, aberrations around the edges where you're maybe not able to like see, uh, a character's face in focus, right? If you're putting them on the edge of the, of the lens. So we did a bit of testing and um, found that the cows were a great balance for us of like the Im- beating up the image a little bit, having, having a little bit of warping around the edges. So we're, we're still getting like this effect of the room caving in around Danielle when we wanted to, but it wasn't, distracting uh, so that's how we landed on the kawas and then uh, the cook uh lens was actually just a, a zoom um because we have a few of, of those slow uh spooky zoom shots so i guess the two main sequences that don't take place at the house is like the opening long take at the apartment and then the van stuff at the end And I'm particularly curious about, like, approaching, like, a cramped scene, like, the van, and also, like, practically, like, jam- or, like, shooting it in such a confined space with so many people. Yeah, um, totally. That, I mean, that's, I think something I'm thinking about as the DP is how we're going to maintain and execute the look we've discussed and that includes very much like practically how we can execute that right so like when we were looking when we were thinking about how to do the van sequence um i knew based on the coverage we wanted to get that we'd have to be able to uh like remove seats basically and get the camera into the van and um, I have a good friend who's also a cinematographer who had this kind of crazy van. Um, 
a Chevy Astro that he would use to like move equipment around. And so I knew that you could take the rows of seats out and it was such a perfect, like, um, I hope he never hears this like kooky looking van. Um, they're so boxy and felt so perfect for, um, for a a family vehicle. vehicle. Yeah. And, um, and so that was really crucial. And that was, uh, I, I like to do a lot of photo boarding, um, which is kind of like storyboarding, but where, you know, I'm taking frames um, on a viewfinder on my phone and I'm taking photos of each of the frames and uh, putting those together, usually on my iPad, um, of kind of the basically, a, yeah, storyboard of the, the edit sort of, of with each of these um, frames. That way we can see kind of exactly where we need to get the camera. It's like such an incredible help for um, coordinating with other departments. Um, you know, the first AD can really see exactly what your uh, what the frame is is going to be. Um, and yeah, so we we photoboarded that scene, um, and that's how we did it. Yeah, I wanted to ask like about like your planning process um, in terms of like shot listing and story. I, mean, I guess photo boarding, um, just because this I feel like this movie has like a very particular, like, precise and preciseness. I guess if if I had to put it, and like I don't know if that was like intentionally like you shot listed it a certain way or if you sort of let yourself, you know, run free. But it was a sixteen day shoot, so I don't know. You know, so like if you could talk about how you sort of day-to-day planned what you were going to shoot. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, Emma and I, I think are both bonded a little bit over being kind of freaks for prep. Um, I think a lot of people say this, but I really believe the movie is made in prep because you're, you're making, you have the room to, to make, the best creative decision when you're kind of conceiving of it's just Emma and me in a room um, and really able to think through like, okay, if we, uh, if, if we're having tight coverage that feels like kind of chaotic of, uh, of Danielle, and then we finally can break that when we go outside and, and have more of like a static feeling like, those kind of um yeah those kind of like contrasting feelings I suppose are um obviously we're shooting out of order so if we were to just make those decisions on the day I think you can sometimes lose a little bit of of the um visual arc like maybe you're you're maintaining it scene to scene but you have maybe less of an arc anyway that's that's just how we approach it um but so that meant emma actually at the time lived two blocks away from me and she would come over um during prep and we had she she had made this uh lego set of the house that we found the house was such a crucial piece it was like kind of i think the the one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle on a on a project like this where it's going to determine so much of how you can cover scenes, how you can light it, 
Um, so I was just, I was heavily involved in the choosing of the location. And then, yeah, Emma um, had made this Lego version of the floor plan of the house. And um, it was a great tool for us to be able to talk about where different characters would be when um and so much of the movie is continuous that it, it was crucial for us to know okay if like you know molly gordon's character leaves this room she's gotta be in this other room so if we see the, her in the background like we can't we can't show the background of that room or, or she would have to go into the kitchen for example um and that that was a so that was a big part of our prep process. Basically, we'd go through the script, break down each scene, what the intention was, what we're trying to convey in that scene, um, so that we, I, both of us understand kind of the, the core like emotion of that scene. And to me, that's that's crucial for, uh, you know, later when we start running out of time and we need to pare down our shot list or um, kind of simplify. I know exactly what it is that we need to, we need to convey. Um, so I can help uh, kind of pare it down while maintaining our, our like visual through line, I guess. Uh, so, so yeah, a lot of our, our, our shot list was, was pretty meticulous and specific. Um, it it also really had to be it's 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 funny like i think the smaller the shoot uh, the more specific and you know detailed and planned you really have to be to make it work because we had molly gordon i think for two or three days um so a lot there were a number of her scenes um that were shot just kind of on their own um basically at the beginning of the shoot. Uh, and, you know, one of those, for example, is uh, she, I think Rachel is carrying like a plate of cookies from the kitchen and Molly kind of turns and like grabs one from her. And then Rachel like goes through and back into the dining room. So we shot Molly's side of the coverage. And then days later, we shot the reverse on Rachel where she like walks through the through the house. What an interview. Really incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Interesting choice of words. Um, yes, really good interview. Thank you so much to Maria Rushi, cinematographer of Shiva Baby. Um, she, oh, they also have a new movie coming out, Emma Seligman and, uh, Maria Rushi. They have Bottom, Bottoms, I think is the movie's title, um, which just premiered at South by, um, and will have a wide release, I think in the summer. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you so much to Maria Rushi. This is part one. Next week you can listen to part two. She goes a little bit more in depth, talks a little bit about what she's working on in the future and... Uh, as always, the big kahuna final question. It's in, it's in next week's episode. Um, so thank you so much to Maria Rushi. And Sophia, this Maria Rushi talk has just got me wondering, 
the listeners are listening to this episode on a platform. Yeah. And craft services, is it on multiple platforms? It's on pretty much any platform one could search to get their podcasts. Yes, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Pandora, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we, we are there. We also have a Instagram and Twitter uh, for as long as Twitter lasts. Um, and yeah, that's it, guys. Thanks so much. And come back next week for part two. Trent couldn't make it because he was a sweepy baby.